Welcome to Investment Insights from Perch Wealth, your ultimate guide to smart real estate investment and achieving your financial goals. Your host, Ehud Gersten, is a renowned expert and the founder of Perch Wealth. His team specializes in 1031 exchanges and breaks down complex concepts into digestible strategies for financial independence. Dive deep into the world of investment, from the intricacies of 1031 exchanges to expert insights on real estate investments. Hi, I'm Ehud Gersten. Let's get into it. Commercial real estate, long considered an alternative asset class, has historically had significant barriers to entry. The cost, lack of widely accessible property information, and risk associated with buying properties individually has meant that only the most well-off could enter the space. This includes institutional investors, such as life insurance companies, endowments and pension funds, as well as family offices and extremely high net worth individuals. However, the advent of Delaware Statutory Trusts, or DSTs, has begun to level the playing field. Today, DSTs provide a way for individuals to fractionally invest in the assets of a trust, with those assets being one or more pieces of commercial real estate. The sponsor of the DST then oversees all day-to-day management of properties within that trust, on behalf of its collective investors. Moreover, unlike investing in a syndication or fund, DSTs have been deemed 1031 exchange eligible, meaning that individuals can sell their personally owned investment property and reinvest the proceeds into a DST to defer paying capital gains tax. It's no wonder then that DSTs are rapidly growing in popularity. But DSTs did not just emerge overnight, their arrival was long in the making. In this article, we look at the history of DSTs and how they came about. Let's look at the history of DSTs. Trusts have long been a tool used by wealthy Americans to transfer property from one generation to another. Doing so through a trust has specific tax and security advantages that would not otherwise exist. Many of these trusts are held in Delaware, a state that is known to be pro-business and tax-friendly. Since at least 1947, business trusts have been recognized by Delaware common law. This is why many Fortune 500 companies have located their headquarters in the state. For decades, trust income, including capital gains, have not been taxed, including those owned by non-residents. In other words, someone who lives out of state can just as easily take advantage of Delaware's trust tax provisions as those who reside there. In 1988, Delaware formalized its common law around trusts and became the first state to create an effective and judicially secure legal entity, the Delaware Statutory Trust. The 1988 Delaware Business Trust Act provided clear guidance as to how trusts may operate. This provided investors with the certainty they needed to feel confident investing in DSTs. Several other states have since adopted legislation that governs trusts, but Delaware remains a preferred location among trustees given the breadth and clarity of the laws governing business entities. Moreover, Delaware's Court of Chancery and the Delaware Supreme Court have earned a reputation for excellence specifically, their wide-ranging experience with business issues that result in efficient, prompt, and fair resolution of disputes. Today, there is a tremendous body of Delaware case law that can be drawn upon for those seeking trust-related guidance. In 2002, the Delaware Business Trust Act was changed to the Delaware Statutory Trust Act, or DST Act. The DST Act explicitly authorized the creation of DSTs and provides express rules governing their internal affairs. 
The DST Act identifies DSTs as a separate legal entity that may conduct any lawful business or purpose. The regulations also stipulate that a DST will not terminate or dissolve as a result of the death, incapacity, dissolution, termination, or bankruptcy of a beneficial owner unless otherwise stated in the trust agreement. DSTs are also allowed to secure financing under their own name rather than under the names of its individual trustees. The DST Act also expressly limits the liability of any trustee. The Act states that except to the extent otherwise expressly provided in the trust's governing documents, a trustee shall not be personally liable to any other person other than the statutory trust or a beneficial owner for any act, omission, or obligation of the statutory trust or any trustee thereof. This provision offers substantial protection to trustees. They can rest easy knowing that the potential liabilities they may face associated with investing in a DST are strictly limited, whereas the protections afforded to them by indemnification are very broad. Let's look at DSTs versus TICs. The 2002 DST Act effectively provided the guidance and protections needed for those looking to fractionally invest in commercial real estate. Until this point, most people would co-invest in real estate through a tenant-in-common or TESI structure. Those who invest in a TIS hold a fractional share of the title to the property. As such, each individual owner becomes personally liable for any debt needed to purchase or improve property held in a TIC. TICs may have up to 35 individual co-owners, so as one might imagine, the process for underwriting each individual investor can make financing a TIC rather cumbersome compared to financing DST investments, since the loan is secured by the DST itself and not individual investors. Moreover, any major decision pertaining to TIC investments requires unanimous approval among co-investors. Decision-making, even in the best of times, therefore becomes a challenge. One holdout can stall important decisions needed to advance the TIC's business plan and investment direction. Despite the clear advantages to investing in a DST versus a TIC, many continued to opt for the latter until the mid-2000s. This is because in the early 2000s, industry groups, including some of the nation's largest commercial real estate sponsors, pushed the IRS to establish guidelines that would allow TIC real estate to qualify for 1031 exchanges. In turn, those who sold individually owned investment property could reinvest the proceeds from the sale into a TIC to defer paying capital gains tax, sometimes indefinitely. This led to more people investing in TICs than ever before. The TIC industry grew to its height in 2007 when almost $4 billion of equity was invested using the TC structure. But before long, many of these investors gained firsthand insight as to the TIC structure's shortcomings. Around this same time, and largely due to the inefficiencies of the TIC model, DSTs gained traction. In 2004, the IRS adopted similar 1031 exchange guidelines for DSTs. Revenue Ruling 2004-86 allowed the use of the DST structure to acquire real estate where the beneficial interests of the trust would be treated as direct interests in replacement property for the purposes of a 1031 exchange. Real estate investors across the U.S. rejoiced. Let's look at real estate co-investment during the Great Recession. Both TICs and DSTs were dealt an enormous blow when the Great Recession hit in 2008. Investment in syndicated real estate fell off a cliff. TICs suffered more than DSTs. By 2009, less than $250 million was invested in TIX, roughly 6.25% of the equity invested just two years prior. Across the board, lenders became conservative. 
Very few in particular wanted to invest in TICs given the need to underwrite each investor's creditworthiness. The work to establish loans on ticks, which again could have up to 35 individual investor, simply became too much of a bother for banks. Investment in both TCs and DSTs remained in a lull through the better part of 2013. As the economy began to recover, DSTs quickly became the preferred co-investment structure. By 2015, DST investment had rebounded to its pre-recession level and has continued to climb ever since. In 2020, roughly $3.20 billion in equity was raised for DST investments, a staggering number, especially given the lingering uncertainty among investors brought on by COVID. Now let's discuss the, the future outlook for DSTs. Looking forward, investment in DSTs could continue to remain strong. There is a backlog of investors who have been eagerly waiting for the pandemic to pass before listing their property for sale. Many of these investors may utilize 1031 exchanges to defer paying capital gains tax, and many will do so by investing in DSTs. Cash investors, too, are increasingly investing in DSTs as a way of diversifying their portfolios. Accredited investors seeking to invest in truly passive real estate will find DSTs as a tremendous option given the myriad of associated potential benefits, including asset and geographic diversification. Already, 2021 is shaping up to be a banner year for DST equity investment. Barring any unforeseen circumstances, this may continue in the months and years to come. Are you interested in learning more about DSTs? Contact us today to learn more about our investment strategy and current 1031 exchange and DST offerings. Thank you for listening. The following are the real estate and 1031 risk disclosures. There's no guarantee any strategy will be successful or achieve investment objectives. All real estate investments have the potential to lose value during the life of the investments. The income stream and depreciation schedule for any investment property may affect the property owner's income bracket and or tax status. An unfavorable tax ruling may cancel deferral of capital gains and result in immediate tax liabilities. All financed real estate investments have potential for foreclosure. These 1031 exchanges are offered through private placement offerings and are illiquid securities. There is no secondary market for these investments. If a property unexpectedly loses tenants or sustains substantial damage, there is potential for suspension of cash flow distributions. Costs associated with the transaction may impact investors' returns and may outweigh the tax benefits. Tax benefits are not guaranteed and are subject to changes in the tax code. Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole? The All Things Alice podcast will explore the cultural phenomena of Alice in Wonderland. Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy, is your host through a wonderverse of interviews from all types of creators as they chronicle the dark yet empowering reality of Lewis Carroll's fantasies and answer the question, what is it about Alice that captivates us still today? The All Things Alice podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts. From the team that brought you the award-winning show Retro Replay and the Emmy-nominated comedy series Con Man comes a new idea just crazy enough to be good. Introducing Couch Soup. I know, I know, you're probably wondering, what is Couch Soup? Well, Couch Soup is content for your hungry nerd soul. Daily articles from fans, not pundits. Weekly podcasts that contain a multiverse of opinions on all things pop culture. Exclusive videos and weekly live streams where we laugh, scream, and sometimes have technical difficulties. All created by folks like you, the gamers, the film nerds, the TV bingers, comic book lovers, bookworms, and pop culture enthusiasts 
all in one giant bowl of beautiful, disgusting, soupy goodness at CouchSoup.com. 